Chatbots are your newest coworker. Slack, HipChat, and other chat clients allow developers and other team members to communicate more dynamically than the limits of email. Companies have started to add chatbots to their chat rooms, and these bots can give you technical information, they can restart a server, they can notify you that a build has finished, they have all sorts of uses. Jason Hand is the author of ChatOps, Managing Infrastructure in Group Chat, and he joins the show today to discuss how ChatOps improves development and operations by centralizing lots of functionality in group chat. Adena Salinas is the host for today's show. She's also the host of the excellent Women in Tech show, a podcast that we highly recommend. It's interviews with women in technology talking about technology. Um, it's a show I listen to on a regular basis. And since we're on the subject of bots, I want to thank O'Reilly Media for recently providing Software Engineering Daily with a ticket to Bot Day. It was a really enjoyable experience, and there are going to be some other upcoming shows about bots and some material that I learned at Bot Day. So with that, I hope you enjoy this episode about chat ops. Jason Hand is a DevOps evangelist at VictorOps. Jason, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Hey, thanks. It's a pleasure to be here. So you come from an extensive background in information systems, technical support, DevOps, and you've witnessed the increasing popularity of ChatOps, which at a higher level involves having access to other tools within a chat group to go beyond basic conversation and take actions that can span from sending and resolving incidents to restarting servers. So in what ways is chat ops the next generation of DevOps? Are there any new problems it's addressing or is it existing problems? Well, I think one of the, the main things and probably the, um, the clearest uh, benefit from something like chat ops is that it helps to um, provide a space for teams to be much more collaborative and to share a lot more about what they're doing throughout their day, um, not only with the conversations that they're having, but also the tools that they're using and how they're using those and that type of thing. And one of the big, big things about DevOps is that we become a lot uh, more focused on trying to be um, collaborative across different types of teams. You hear a lot of things about um, breaking down silos. And a great way to do that is just to be more transparent and and have more conversations about what's going on throughout the day across different teams. So if you think of just within IT, you've got typically um, some people that are more of like a sysadmin type of role or an operations team. And then you also have developers and um, database people and network and, and all that kind of stuff. And traditionally, they sort of operated in their own silos or within their own groups, and rarely did they interact with a lot of the other groups. So... One great way to sort of change that and start taking more of a DevOps mentality is to use a group chat tool such as Slack or HipChat. Uh, and then if you start using third-party integrations or maybe a, a chat bot, you can turn that group chat tool into an interface into all kinds of things that you uh, have to do throughout the day, the tools that you use, um, and that type of stuff. So chat ops to me is, is a great way to address the um, collaboration piece and getting people to be more sharing. Um, so for me, that's kind of the exciting place, um, or the ex exciting thing about chat ops, I guess, especially in terms of incident management, since that's what, uh, the company I work for Victor ops, that's the type of service that we provide. Yeah. Do you think it was the increasing popularity in technologies or tools like Slack that pushed us in the direction of incorporating DevOps in, in a chat to become chat ops? 
I definitely help. Uh, think that it's helped a lot. Uh, the the term chat ops and and the things that um, really uh, people have been doing for a long time that that fall into that chat ops conversation. We've been doing that since before Slack, since before HipChat. Uh, the term chat ops itself came from the folks over at GitHub, and they were using Campfire at the time. Um, but if a lot of these things we've been doing, you know, since back in the day when we all use an IRC. But certainly through the I don't know, sort of hysteria of the new modern group chat tools such as Slack and HipChat. It's definitely made it a lot easier and I think has helped with the adoption of it a lot just because those tools are, are so um, easy to start a uh, sort of jump right in and start using. And uh, it doesn't take a lot. It's not a very high learning curve to get into yeah. those things. Because the UI is much better. Exactly, especially yeah. with Slack, for example. I think they got a lot of, uh, a lot of the market share simply because the the process of onboarding a new user is very, um, not only pleasant, but sort of fun to get in there and understand how the tool works. Um, and then once you get in, just the, the general user experience is, is pretty nice. And I think that's been a huge, a huge reason why Slack has done so well. Mm -hmm. How did you first start using chat ops? Was it back in the day where it was mostly IRC or what, what sort of things were you trying to accomplish? Sure. Well, personally, I remember a long time ago, you know, in IRC, um, just it wasn't really anything that was work, work related, but we would create little bots that would just sort of interact with each other. Um, and, you know, we didn't call it chat ops or anything like that. But as it's evolved, certainly people within the IT space, uh, system administration type of roles have figured out different ways to automate some things um, through chat tools like IRC. But for me personally, I didn't really um, sink my teeth into um, having a focus on what I can automate from within group chat. And not only automate, but like uh, be able to execute and then have that context available to me within the conversation. I didn't start thinking about that until really about two and a half years ago, going on three years ago now, uh, when I first started working working at VictorOps. And the reason being mostly is because the, the service that they were providing or the service that they are providing is for uh, folks who are on call. And one of the ways that a lot of people use our service is they send alerts about who's being paged and, and what the problem is and, and all that kind of stuff. They send it right into a group chat tool, but they also use the VictorOps tool for the same way. So it just sort of um, lent itself very, very well to the types of things that I was talking about in terms of VictorOps uh, and advocating for people to go into a group chat tool um, to, you know, not only acknowledge that they're going to work on some sort of problem or an incident, but also have conversations about what they're doing within that tool. So into a sort of a, at a certain degree, VictorOps yeah. is pro providing some sort of chat ops um, functionality within their own tool, which is kind of what got me started talking about it. Mm -hmm. So let, let's talk more about chat ops. Recently, I read your book from O'Reilly, Chat Ops. It was yeah. a very good intro to this topic. What I liked is that you start defining it by getting started without using a bot and then later on you build on when to incorporate a bot. So I want to start focusing on getting started without using a bot. And one of the things you mentioned is this push model where you're constantly pushing content to the chat. Um, how does the information make it to that chat client? What what are some of the APIs that the chat systems currently expose? Yeah, so just like you said, uh, 
I suggest, especially in that book, I suggest the easiest way to get into this type of stuff is to just use some of the, the native third-party integrations that are available within either the Slack marketplace or the um, uh, Atlassian's marketplace for HipChat. You can go in and see all kinds of tools that we use, you know, typically SaaS-based tools, that um, you can go in and very easily get that integrated into your group chat tool. And then um, once you've done that, you know, once you've put in your account for whichever tool you're, you're using, information about what takes place in those um, tools or in those services begin to show up within, within group chat. So, for example, you asked, you know, what's a good one to, to sort of start with or what's some that people use a lot. Um, certainly GitHub's one that um, a ton of people use, especially um, companies that have some software development going on inside uh, their IT organizations. And so the way it works is that me as a developer, once that integration has been made between Slack and uh, my GitHub account, anytime I commit code or I take any kind of action within GitHub under my account, the, um, the sort of <clears throat> result of whatever it, is, whatever it is I did will not only show up to me back in my own terminal, um, but it'll also show up in group chat. So if I was to uh, commit some code into like a master branch or something, um, typically, I would then, after it completed and it was successful, I'd communicate to my team, you know, what I did and, and what the result was, hopefully that it was successful. Um, but now I can just do my thing. I can just push my code, do the commit, and then all of that additional information about what took place and, and that kind of thing and whether it was successful will automatically show up into a group chat room where everybody can sort of see that, that type of thing. So um, I would say GitHub is a, is a perfect one, especially if you're doing software development. Another one um, that a lot of people use simply because a, a lot of companies use the tool is Jenkins. So uh, setting up Jenkins is really easy so that you can make sure that anytime you start a new infrastructure build, that's going to show up back in your group chat tool. Um, and then, you know, uh, VictorOps is another good one, but there's, there's a tons. Really, what I suggest to people is go out and um, search through the marketplace of either Slack or HipChat and find the tools that you currently use. And then go ahead and get those, you know, plugged in and, uh, and configured. And then kind of take it from there. Find out, are these tools providing us that good of information? Is it being really noisy and therefore not that useful anymore? So it's kind of a, a little bit of a trial and error process. Yeah. Do you find it beneficial, for example, wiring up GitHub and getting notified about when somebody pushed something, when somebody committed, when we can just simply look up these things? I don't know. We can use GitLog or other commands to check when something has been checked in. Like, I, what, I think what has been the value of this? Sure. Well, I think it's a, it's a matter of personal opinion. Not everyone likes to be um, just constantly provided with new information, they actually want to take a moment to go find something out. Or they like to just, um, you know, when they feel like it's time for them to know something, they will query for that information. Um, others, they sort of want the on-demand type of thing just constantly pushing to them in some sort of um, timeline. So uh, I've, you know, in a lot of the talks that I've given, have mentioned that so much of what we do throughout our day to not only consume information, but also share information is done through a timeline, whether that's in a group chat tool that we're using or maybe just text messaging um, or, you know, certainly it's all of social media. That's how we ingest our information. That's how we share our information. So we're very used to that type of model for just consuming information and also passing and, you know, passing things along. And I think part of the reason that's part of the reason why slack is done so well but also why there's this shift within it um, to just sort of have that information available to you and if there's something you care about make it so that it's going to tell you the moment something took 
you know, so, took place. So for example, like if, if I'm a developer, I may want notifications set up so that whenever someone on my team does push code, um, I'm made aware of that immediately so that I have that awareness, but others um, may not necessarily want to um, have their information provided that way. So maybe they just, you know, things are going into a general room, but they don't necessarily want to be alerted on it. Um, they'll just go check that timeline or go check the log, like you were saying, whenever yeah. they feel like it. Yeah. And it's also analogous. For example, me, I get uh, emails whenever somebody makes a pull request or closes the pull request. So like you said, I I get the emails from everybody in my team. So by having them in a chat, you can sort of filter them in a smarter way or or sort of like an archive, right, for newer people. Yeah, totally. I mean, that's a good point that you are creating this long-standing log or an archive of what gets done and who's doing it and whether it worked. Um, but, you know, we kind of know these days that, that email is really not the best way to communicate and it's certainly not the best way to be alerted to something. Now, in, in the example you gave, you know, it's just code being committed. So um, how quickly you need to be alerted to something like that is, you know, I guess somewhat subjective. But uh, in other cases, you know, like with VictorOps, you know, we're trying to let somebody on your team know that something's broken and you need to do something about it. That's a little bit more urgent. And you wouldn't want those types of alerts to just be coming to you via email. You want that to show up in a group chat tool um, so that somebody can, you know, react and, and do something immediately. Yeah. And the other thing that you mentioned in your book about getting started with chat ops without a bot is sort of the reading mode, the query mode, where you have access to some information and you just query it through the chat client. So what have you seen are some of the key groups of interest for this approach? Is it marketing, user experience team, product managers? It's a, it's a little bit of all that, actually. I think it, it originally started maybe in our support team uh, where we were finding that fairly often we would um, need to SSH into um, some sort of server that was hosting or had an alias or, or some sort of replicate of our, um, of our database just so we could query a few things about certain users and certain user activity. Um, I know that one that I would do a lot is we'd get a lot of requests to extend the trial for VictorOps. And, and that was as simple as just running it or, you know, running a query on a certain uh, database and then maybe running an update command or something to, to change a field. But um, it started for, sh for sure in technical support for us, but then quickly moved into um, both sort of the operations or the DevOps areas of the of the engineering team, but also the product team because there was so much good information about um, sort of user behavior, um, but also um, you know just all kinds of things that were related to the back-end infrastructure of VictorOps. And sometimes it was important for somebody on our product team to, you know, find out something about user behavior. And it got to the point where maybe myself or, or someone else on the product team would would have a question and they couldn't answer that question on their, on their own. They didn't have direct access into a database. So they would have to go reach out to an engineer and ask them to pull that, you know, information for them so that then they could, you know, digest that and maybe use it in some sort of report later on. And, and once it gets to a point where you're bugging an engineer, you know, you're giving them the good old um, shoulder tap like every five minutes, it seems, just to get some information, that's a pretty good indicator that you need, you need access to that information so you don't have to go through them and, and you know, they don't have to switch back and forth between tasks. Um, and so we started looking for easy ways to be able to query some of our databases and um, allowing the bot to do it for us was one, you know, obvious 
um, answer to that. And that way you could, you could do it from within chat and whatever question I'm going to, you know, ask the database essentially, um, is going to get fed back into the group, um, chat tool. So people can see, oh, well, Jason thought, you know, thought, thought something about something and he wrote, uh, this little query and he asked this bot to go find something for him. And then now everybody's got the same context and the same information. Okay. So the reading mode does incorporate a bot then? The the one where we go in and query something, yeah. Uh, only because, you know, there wasn't any kind of, there's no plugin or anything in, into our own um, services. So we had to use a script, which is then just triggered from the bot. Oh, okay. But there there are things that you can do without a bot for reading. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you're just talking about querying information, um, I know that there's a lot of Hubot scripts out there that will just go, you know, if you just want to know what the weather is, you can, you know, ask the, what the, what, what is the weather and it'll go out and query that information for you. Um, so, but, you know, I don't, for us at VictorOps, we don't have a ton, um, that I can think of with the exception of maybe in our, now that I think about it, maybe within our sales team, we actually do have the ability to, um, and now this isn't using, uh, a bot necessarily. This is actually using a service called Zapier, Z-A-P-I-E-R, um, using Zapier and um, making it so that whenever something changes within our Salesforce um, sort of account, um, then Zapier will notice that, and then Zapier has a plugin, a plugin into Slack, and so I can have some, I can have some updates about things that are changing within our CRM, Salesforce. Um, I can have that show up within um, within our group chat tool. So for example, if, if you were a customer of mine, um, I could say, you know, type in something um, using that uh, integration and it would go retrieve your record out of Salesforce. And I didn't even have to go into Salesforce to find out information about you. Mm, I see. And one of the other things that I was reading with, about this system is that there's a notion of channels and rooms and groups. Can you explain a little bit the difference between these? Yeah, they're, they're really the only difference is it's completely semantics. It's, it's just the difference between the different, um, chat tools. So Slack is, you know, kind of the most well-known one these days and Slack uses the concept of, or the notion of channels, which are just the unique sort of, um, breakout conversations. So we, we, uh, at Victor Ups have, uh, one that's just called general and, and, you know, anything can go in there. And then we've got one that's really just for our engineering team, um, our front end engineering team. And then we've got one that's just for conversations that are related to our infrastructure team and product and sales. They've all got their own little rooms or, but in the, in Slack, they call them channels. Uh, but then over in, um, hip chat, they actually call them rooms, but the concept's the same thing. It's just a way to, for you to take, um, and create little unique rooms or, or channels that are for specific types of conversations. Mm -hmm. And those ones can be secured, right? That only certain people are in that channel. Yes. Yeah. Okay. You can make them secured uh, or private is I think what they call them, but um, only people who are invited into those rooms or channels are allowed to be part of that channel. Uh, generally in, in DevOps, we try to discourage not only private channels, but also sending a lot of direct messages or private messages because it it's counter to sort of the principles behind being open and transparent. And um, if I'm, you know, reaching out to a coworker to ask them a question, unless it really is private or it's personal, that type of conversation needs to be um, taking place within a common space so that we're sharing that information and we're disseminating that across our teams. Uh, but sometimes that's a bad habit to break. Um, but, you know, definitely if you needed to, if you needed to make it a private room, that's certainly possible. Okay. So let's talk about incorporating bots 
to chat ops and using third parties for the more interactive approach to chat ops. So based on what you've been seeing this two years, what are some of the questions that you can ask a bot that will be reliably answered? In terms of actually using a bot? Well, um, hmm, that's a good question. I think it kind of depends on the way you've got it set up. Uh, I can tell you how things are at VictorOps. So we use, um, we, use a, we use a couple different bots, actually. We use Hubot primarily, but we've also got a Ruby bot named Lita that's running. Um, but Hubot, for the most part, lets us find out different, um, well, He's leveraged in a lot of ways. Most of the stuff that we use are internal scripts. And um, honestly, one of the more, even though it's not particularly interesting to our um, infrastructure, the one bot that we use a ton is for our demos. So whenever um, whenever we're given a demo to somebody who's interested in looking at VictorOps or using VictorOps, there's one Hubot that we have running who we can interact with. And... Um, it's always just designed to sort of give give the user experience um, some sort of specific experience. So we can say um, we've got one command to to basically trigger a series of events to sort of simulate what it's like when infrastructure breaks. And so you know a bunch of services will start failing, and then some alerts will come in, and somebody will get paged. So, but the the demonstration just allows you to go in and say, well, I as the person who is on call, I acknowledge that I'm taking you know taking responsibility for this this problem or I'm at least looking into it so I can acknowledge it. And then that'll, that'll turn off all the paging across the entire team. So, you know, nobody else is getting woken up in the middle of the night. Um, but then there's other aspects of the demo too, that just sort of allow you to show, show off some of the, um, the features that, uh, there's a, there's one feature in particular called the transmogrifier that will bring in extra, um, context like graphs or, uh, links to run books. And we make it so that, um, in the demo, whenever whenever one particular service fails, let's say Apache fails over, um, Hubot will see that Apache failed, and it'll see what uh, host Apache was on, so it knows the IP address, and then it will go ahead and automatically try to restart Apache before it even pages somebody. Um, so, I mean, your question was, is there something that always works or flawlessly works? And to me, most of the time, it all, once you get it set up, it works perfectly. Um, it's It's... If there's a problem at all, it's going to be a problem with um, typically the script. It's just not quite tweaked um, just right. Um, but for us, what what like works awesome and it's kind of fun to watch is in the demo how something will break and then a Hubot will actually go out and fix it for you before it even tries to page anybody. So not only is it kind of fun and sort of impressive, but that's one that we built up and, and it works just flawlessly every time. Yeah, that's pretty awesome because uh, I've definitely been called because it, something needs to be restarted and then it just restarts and then yeah. it's just an unnecessary well, interruption. Exactly. One of the things that we advocate for all the time is to make sure that if you're going to page someone in the middle of the night or anytime, really, um, make sure it's something that that person can do. So, you know, they, they do know how to fix this problem. It is an actionable alert. You know, there's something they're supposed to do. But we've even gone a little bit further and said, well, if this is something you know pretty simple and and the one you know there's always this one thing I'm going to try first every time this happens why don't we just automate that and let a bot kind of take care of it for us and so that's what that's what teams are starting to do and it's actually pretty cool yeah and you were mentioning a lot uh hubot that's the bot that github created right correct is it, what is the language for this bot 
So Hubot is a Node.js application, and um, and it's just an open source thing that you can get um, off GitHub, and uh, lots and lots of companies will download the original source code and then sort of modify it for their own you know their own purposes. Um, but you can go in and get a hold of it, and then um, you know you just have to make sure you got uh, all the npm um, you know just no, basic Node setup on whatever host it's going to be running on, and then uh, as long as those dependencies are there and, and Hubot's uh, ready to go, you can. You can write um, any script you want in CoffeeScript or JavaScript, and it should be able to um, should be able to work with it. So Node.js, but anybody who knows what Node.js is probably already knew that you know CoffeeScript is the main CoffeeScript and JavaScript are the language that you, languages that you would use with it. Yeah, and you mentioned another bot, I think Lira, that's on Ruby. Yeah, so I so think, yeah. Go ahead. So is there is it this bot is did you pick it because it's a different language or there's some different functionality that you want to take from that bot like what is the bot panorama like sure we we went with lita um simply because it's ruby and we've got several ruby developers at victorops and we were just um wanting to sort of you know we we had played around with hubot for a while and and got it to where it was helpful but you know, it's more of curiosity. Let's see what Lita can do. And especially since we've got a lot of people who are familiar with Ruby um, at VictorOps, we thought that made sense. Um, but functionally, it'll do basically the same things. Now, the one advantage Hubot has over Lita is that it's been around a lot longer. And so there's a, a lot more um, people contributing to, you know, providing scripts out there. Um Whereas Lita, it's definitely a growing community. It hasn't quite got to the same place. So it just, when you go to search for certain types of scripts into specific um, services, you're, you're just not going to find as many. Um, and then there's another one out there um, that's also pretty popular called, um, it's called Erbot, E-R-R-B-O-T. And it is a Python bot. And uh, it's actually pretty cool. We we haven't tried to use it yet at VictorOps, but I know it's starting to get a lot um, a lot more traction. A lot more people are starting to use it. Um, it is in Ruby, but also it, it's been a complete rewrite um, as of about I don't know six to nine months ago. It's um, the bot's been around for a number of years, but it's this version of the bot is pretty much brand new, and it's got a couple things um, that are different from both Hubot and Lita. Uh, the one being that you don't have to restart the bot in order for it to see any new scripts that you have maybe put in. Um, so it can, um, you know, just continue to run. You don't have to somehow, you know, take care of restarting the bot. Not that that's a huge deal, but in some cases it's just, it's nice that you don't have to restart it. Yeah. Um, it can also update itself basically from the command line or from its own chat line. So you can, you know, can, whenever a new update comes out, you can, you can update it without not only restarting it but right there from within itself so it's kind of chat chat ops within chat ops this is a python one right this is the python run yep yep um i think it's airbot e-r-r-b-o-t dot i-o i want to say um but uh yeah those are the three main ones and then there's a there's another one called yeti bot which is a, a one written in closure i think and then um um the other one i talk about in the book is called cog but it's not like the others in that it's not a truly a bot as it is as more um, of a framework uh, with a heavy focus on the security side. So they've, um, they've, they've built in some functionality that sort of addresses some of the concerns that a lot of folks have had about security. And then um, they've also made it so that it um, feels a little bit familiar if you are used to using the command line. So you're able to pipe commands together and... Um, you know, just a lot of the syntax for 
uh, operating the the sort of the chatbot portion of it feel very um, very much like you would expect from a command line. Yeah, so pretty much catering different styles of programmers or people, basically. Yeah, yeah, it seems that way. Is that it's definitely for the you know the people who are very comfortable working from the command line, but also understand or see the the value and the benefits um, of a you know more holistic chat ops approach. What is the user experience like when a bot is being restarted? Because one of the things that I heard in the O'Reilly's bot podcast is that bots don't have a concept of a 404. So for telemetry, it's kind of hard. But I'm wondering, like, if I'm using Hubot and it gets restarted because somebody added new functionality, what do I see? Well, um, I wouldn't say that the user experience is, is terrible. I mean, it's kind of what you would expect of just any application or any app or microservice that isn't running um, when you're trying to rely on it. You know, you ask a question, which is basically running com- a command, and if it doesn't respond right away, um, I'll I'll run a command of just, you know, it's basically just a ping, so a Hubot ping, and uh, if it doesn't respond to that, then then it's time for me to, you know, hop, you know, pull up a, a terminal and, and try to get into that host and find out what's going on. So you, you end up just sort of troubleshooting it just as though it was any other service uh, as part of your infrastructure. And if it just needs to be restarted, um, that's as simple as, uh, well, in most cases, it's just as simple as restarting the Hubot uh, service, which is just a node service. And, and um, once it's up, you know, takes just a couple of seconds for it to come back up. And then I'll hop back into my chat tool and try to ping the bot again. And then as, and then as soon as I get a response, I know I know everything's back to normal. So it's very minimal the amount of time it needs. Yeah, I mean, if I can't think of any. For me, it doesn't seem like a terrible experience. I mean, it just if you think about the bot in terms of it being a, um, you know, it's just just another service running um, on some server somewhere, just like Apache or Nginx. Um, if it's not if it's not working properly, you just go in and restart the service. Um, so yeah, it just to me, I've always thought of it as just another another application. And, and if it goes down, you can probably get pre- pretty creative. You could have, you know, one bot um, sitting on your in your infrastructure that's sort of just monitoring all the others. And if it detects that one's not working, it can go in and try to restart the service. So there's some resiliency techniques that you could build in to make sure that your bot's always running, or at least has a higher probability of running. But the the process of restarting it isn't, in my opinion, all that terrible. Once you create a chatbot, for example, let's say using Hubot, is it compatible with uh, Slack, HipChat, and other chat platforms, or or is there a layer that you need to write? No, it should be ready to go. So the um, especially with Hubot, there are um, <clears throat> just sort of plugins, I guess you'd call them. I'm not sure what the actual name of them are, but it's you'll go in um, and all of by the by the way, all these bots have really great instructions on how to install them. Um, if you just do a Google search for you know install Hubot, you'll find all kinds of stuff, and they'll they'll show you. Once you've gotten the bot uh, established and it's running and you can access it from a command line, then, <coughs> excuse me, then you'll have to, um, you'll go find um, on GitHub, you'll find an adapter, basically is what it is, um, for the bot. So there'll be a Slack adapter, there's a hit chat adapter, there's a, there, you know, Campfire, FlowDoc, all the, all the ones that are fairly popular. And then you install that adapter. And once that's in place, then um, the bot and Slack are, um, you just, you go in and, and from within the chat tool, you'll tell it 
what you're trying to do basically. And those two will just start talking. It's a really simple process. I'm, I'm probably over, you know, complicating it with my description, but it's essentially a, it's another piece of open source, um, that you'll download, uh, from GitHub. And, uh, once that's set up, it's pretty, it's pretty straightforward from there. That's pretty cool. And when working with bots, would you say that you need to know something about artificial intelligence or not necessarily? Not, not at all with these, um, because they are, they're strictly just, um, pretty basic inputs and outputs as far as, uh, the bot just runs a script based on some variables that you're going to pass into it. So if you, you, um, use some sort of variable or, um, language that the bot doesn't understand, then it's just not going to do anything. Now, I do think that probably in the not too distant future, mostly because of the, the activity around a lot of chat bots that are out there. They're, they're not really the same type of bots that we're talking about, but there's a tons, there's a whole community of people that are building chat bots for ver a variety of reasons. But, um, I think because of that, um, that push, that, that activity that sort of, you know, just, there's just a ton of people doing that. I think that they are going to start leveraging some of the open and available access into, um, like Watts, IBM Watson, uh, IBM's Watson or some of the other sort of, uh, artificial and natural language processors. I think that they'll be able to sort of leverage those tools or leverage those services to make it so that, um, you can start talking to your bot in a much more comfortable and just natural, you know, style. And the bot will be able to understand what, what it is you're trying to do and it'll do it for you. But I feel like that's still, you know, nowhere, um, I don't feel like that's going to be happening in the next couple of years, just because for the most part, we really want, um, a strong control over the variables that are going in. And I'm, I don't trust that, you know, maybe the bot is picking up, a, uh, what it thinks is a different word just because it doesn't understand my accent or doesn't understand the language that I'm speaking. So, um, I, I do think that, it, that that'll happen, but I don't think that's anywhere, um, in the very near future. Is there, um, particular recommendation regarding the language used when working with chat ops, like some rules, like do not use abbreviations or talk like you talk on Snapchat or things um, like that. There's, I mean, lots of people have their own sort of methods that they're used to. Um, the, so when you said language, I was thinking at first that you meant like the programming language. And of course it sort of just depends on the bot, you, you know, or the bot will depend on what language you want, you know, develop in either a Ruby or, or Python, but you're, you're more speaking to, um, just our own language with, with the bot. And, um, yeah, I, I think for the most part, it, there's some standardization. I mean, if, I can give you a, for example, within VictorOps, when people are going, are being paged, the, the sort of syntax really that you would use to tell the bot to acknowledge an incident is really just the, the three letter, um, you know, characters or acronym or shortage, I guess, of ACK for ACK, which is just to acknowledge an incident. So you'd, you'd type in ACK and then uh, the incident number and the bot knows what to do with that. But that's really up to you as the, the person who develops the script for intera interacting with VictorOps. You can say, you know, when I type in ACK, this is the behavior I want to happen. Um, but you know, be, even though it is sort of up to you as a developer to change it however you want it, um, there's there's certainly sort of a industry standard for some things, uh, especially like within incident management, ACK and Resolve, um, those types of things. And then uh, if you think about using uh, GitHub, for example, 
if you're going to use Hubot to access GitHub, pretty much the same syntax you would use from the command line to push your code, whether that's you know a commit or a pull or a push or any of those types of things, um, it's going to be the exact same language or the exact same syntax that you would type in your command line. You'll just type it in Slack now. And the value that that adds is that anybody can see those commands. Yeah, it's it's pretty much like you've you're sharing your terminal history. So you know it's kind of like pair programming or you know just somebody sitting right next to you being able to see the exact commands that you ran. Uh, you're sharing that across everyone on your team. So whenever somebody does push you know some sort of commit to a branch, um, maybe you're a new person to the team and you're also not that familiar with GitHub yet. Um, you'll see right. Right in, in the conversation, you'll see exactly how your teammates are doing it and what the results are. So you're able to sort of learn and uh, get caught up to speed and have the same awareness as everyone else simply by by just putting those actions into the same place where you have conversations about it. And earlier you mentioned an example where there's a server that went down and then the, the bot just knows that it needs to restart it. So I'm wondering, are most... Of the systems that are currently in place, just a list of hard-coded instructions like if this happens, do this, or is there some sort of machine learning or deep learning involved by well, by the, bot systems? Yeah, so the the example that I used is is not AI. It's not um, any kind of machine learning or anything. It's really just a um, I mentioned the feature that that Victorops has called the transmogrifier. It's really just a rules based thing. So we if you think of the service, uh, if this, then that, um, it's, you know, similar idea. If, if something on a certain uh, host or service has a certain type of problem, then do this, this, and this. And the reason that, um, that that feature even exists, the point of it was that for people who are on call, whenever you acknowledge an incident, um, just simply turning, you know, turning off the pager is only step one. Now there's a whole bunch of other things that you have to do. You have to start, you know, logging into servers and checking out logs and, and pulling up graphs and just, you know, maybe running some commands to check on different services. And there's all kinds of things that you do um, while you're trying to discover what's going on. And so um, we made it so that the the rules engine, this transmogrifier thing, can actually do all that stuff automatically for you. And if one of those steps happens to be trigger a bot to go do something, um, that's as easy as telling the transmogrifier to automatically go pull in this graph or this run book because um, I would have to go do that manually, but that might take me 30 seconds, 60 seconds, or you know maybe longer to find what it is I'm looking for. If the if the service, the transmogrifier, can just give me all that, um, or it could just tell a bot to go do something for me, that's you know that's a, a huge win for the person who's on call. But it's not technically any kind of AI uh, or machine learning. But I, I do think those things will come. I just don't think they're they're here right right now. Yeah, because one of the demos that I saw at Velocity was it, it was about voice ops, but I think it would be easier to have it in chat ops. It involved uh, it analyzes the logs and then it just says there was this incident, and I think it's related to this other incident. Like the bot itself is deriving relations between the logs, which I thought was pretty cool. But, yeah, I, yeah, I think I think I was in that same um, that same um, show, or because um, it was part of the keynote, if I remember right. Um, but yeah, I think I was in on that same that same talk, which was really cool because they were using Alexa 
and Alexa was able to communicate in with their with their um, service, I'm guessing just over their API, and query some things for the person who was talking to Alexa through a, a microphone that was in their remote control, which, yeah, totally. I mean, they even called it voice ops, but it's, it's sort of taking chat ops and then adding that extra, um, essentially just voice to text type of functionality, but it makes it for a, it makes for a really cool experience because you're just talking out loud, asking, asking questions in a very natural way. Now I'm sure that you have to ask the questions in a very specific way for Alexa to even know what you're asking it. Or with a specific accent. Like English is not my first language, so I've I've definitely struggled sometimes, yeah. you know, saying commands and it just doesn't understand. No, it's a great point. I mean, simple simple stuff like that I, I think is where um some of that stuff just doesn't doesn't work as advertised. But I know that, you know, eventually they'll figure it out and it'll it'll know exactly what we're asking, regardless of, you know, how how um good we speak a certain language. Let's talk a little bit now about uh, the value of chat ops. To onboard new employees, this is a uh, one topic that you stressed a lot in your book. So I was just wondering, why is it um, a better way than having just a wiki? If if a new employee is just looking at past chats, isn't isn't there a lot of information and it can be overwhelmed, or or is this organized in some smart way, or how have you seen this? Yeah, I think, well, it's going to depend on the company for sure and how large the teams are. But I think for the most part, um, you know, let's say, for example, you, you're a new person, a, a new um, engineer at VictorOps. We bring you in and, and of course, you'll you'll get the standard onboarding where you go, you go around and you meet everybody on your team and introduce yourself and all that kind of thing. And then <clears throat> you maybe get assigned somebody to be your mentor to sort of help you understand the infrastructure and how to log into things and that kind of stuff. Um, but a big part also of the onboarding process is simply to tell people like, um, a lot of conversations happen in group chat. So it's important that you pay attention and, um, even be a part of those conversations within group, within the group chat tool and in, in our example, Slack. And the reason is, is that not only are the conversations in here, but a lot of the commands are too. And so while we do have a wiki and while we do, you know, keep a lot of stuff or most everything documented as to how you do it, there's, there's nothing that can really replace, um, sort of the hands-on interactiveness and the hands-on, um, um, experience of watching it all take place within group chat. And so, it wouldn't be that hard for somebody to go in and just pay attention to the conversations as they, as they pass throughout the day. Um, and then very quickly understand that, okay, here's, here's sort of how we get things done around here. So, you know, maybe, maybe you're a fully continuous integration type of shop where you've, you've got everything, you know, your pipeline is perfect, but maybe you're not. There's, you know, a lot of, a lot of places in between those two, those two ends of the spectrum. And every company is going to have, um, some, some of their own nuance about how they do technology or how they, you know, deliver software, what it is, whatever it is that they're doing. And so by hopping in there and just sort of being a part of that conversation, you, you can pick up on that nuance and you can see, oh, well, uh, this is how we commit and these are the branches that we commit to. And then, um, at the, this is the point where the quality people get involved and, and you just start to understand more about the company culture too, in a lot of ways. So, um, I think, you know, it's, it's just sort of an extra part of the onboarding process that really can help get people um, caught up to speed very quickly. Mm, okay. Are channels mostly what keeps this conversations organized? Yeah, you have to keep them, 
um, pretty specific in a lot of cases because if, if you don't, um, things will just get really noisy. So we, for example, we used to send all of our GitHub uh, updates into um, just our backend engineering channel, which is you know where all of the engineers talk about uh, you know what's going on as they're building and maintaining Victor Ops. But because of the frequency of the code commits and all this stuff, it, it just got really, really noisy in that room. And so people kind of started, uh, actually stopped paying attention to a lot of the conversations in there because it was just so noisy. And so <clears throat> what we had to do is decide, all right, well, instead of putting them in, in this conversation where it's creating too much noise and it's actually counterproductive, let's create a separate room that's just for code commits. And then whoever is interested in that information, they can basically subscribe to that channel um, um, but essentially, you know, we'll just move everything that's not important to the majority. We'll move those into its own space. And then whoever's, you know, expected to pay attention to that type of stuff or is interested in that stuff, they can be. And that'll happen with a lot of different things. You know, you'll start off with just like your sales department and then sales can break off into, you know, lots of other different s sort of subtopics that not everybody wants to be a part of or needs to, but, um, yeah, so it definitely takes some pruning to sort of, um, and it's continuous too. It's not something you just sort of set up and then it's good forever. You got to definitely come back to it and make sure that rooms aren't getting too noisy. Yeah, and one of the things when I was reading about this, and like you mentioned now, keep keep the rooms very specific or the groups. I was like, it can be so overwhelming, like to get all these notifications. But then at the very end of your book, you're like, don't worry about this. There's a way to tune the notifications that you get and set it up so that you only get notified when certain thing gets mentioned and or things like that. Yeah, so one that, of the um I mean a lot of people and 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 I know a lot of people who just are not really big fans of using group chat. Um and one of the reasons is because it's just too noisy. They can't possibly keep up with that stuff. Or, you know, myself, like I have a little bit of an OCD about alerts on my phone or unread emails or unread, you know, text messages even. I, anytime I see that there is an unread something, uh, I just have this like inner desire to, to go find out what's unread because maybe it's something somebody's asking me a question or, or it's something important that I need to know. And, um, people like me find, can find that to be hard to get anything done. If you're always thinking that, every notification is important you you can't really focus on one thing and get into that flow so the point is that there's you know the makers of slack and hipchat understand that and they've made it so that you can go in and, and not only subscribe to the channels and rooms that you're interested in but also tune the alerts or fine tune the alerts just for you and you can you can even go in and just mute an entire channel so that you never get any alerts for it um, but you can go in and customize it so that it works best for you yeah so let let's talk a little bit about the future where the, where this is going. What is your take on the notion of adopting a similar model like Google Search, where when we're talking with bots, we do it in a very specific way, not not in a natural language processing way. Well, I think that's going to be kind of. Honestly, I think that the, the the demo that you saw of Alexa at Velocity New York, I feel like that's essentially demonstrating that that we're currently capable of doing that. Or we're currently there if we want to be. I, but most people, I still think, want to uh, you know type in the the commands that they want to use with a bot. 
but I, I feel like that's that's where it's headed. I just don't feel like there's a strong push to get there. And I had this conversation with someone right after that um, demonstration of velocity. And as, as sort of uh, intriguing and interesting as that demo was, I mean, I was certainly impressed um, just because of how how much basically is, is a demonstration about chat ops. But um, I also think that a lot of people, especially in our industry, the software industry, and sort of IT in general, for the most part, we're, we're kind of... Um, you know, quiet, a lot of introverted type of people. And, and we generally would prefer not to talk out loud. I think when we're at, when we're trying to solve problems with our infrastructure and, and if you were, and, and you're, you know, you have other coworkers nearby you, you're all going to be talking to your computers and, um, you know, who knows, maybe the, you know, your partner across the desk is his computer is going to be hearing you and yours is going to be hearing his. I just think that there's some things left, kind of unknown about the experience of talking to the bot. Um, I think, it, you know, we all sort of fantasized about something similar to HAL 9000 or to Iron Man's Jarvis or something where we actually have a bot that we can just, you know, have a carry a, a just a normal conversation with and it'll do exactly what we ask and, and there's no, you know, room for um, sort of debate or misunderstanding. But, um, I think in the terms of like software development and certainly within IT and, and a lot of people working within the same room together, I, I feel like that's going to be an uncomfortable experience for a lot of people. But maybe that's just because that, that would be uncomfortable uncomfortable for me and I probably would prefer to continue to type with my bot rather than speak to it. Yeah, that's a good point because I'm also in an open space currently. Yeah, yeah same, same with me and um, I keep to myself. I put my headphones on and I just, you know, I just sort of chat all day on the computer. I don't necessarily talk to people until there's a reason I need to go speak with somebody. But if I'm just doing my work, I kind of want to just be heads down and, and just doing it. Last question. What would you like to see improve in the realm of chat ops? Well, the security aspect is definitely the biggest um, question mark on chat ops right now, especially for the larger, more enterprise um, people out there. They've got, um, for good reason, they've got concerns with um, using chat tools like Slack because those conversations may contain intellectual property and, and some sensitive information. And, and the data uh, for those conversations are not going to be stored on their own servers. They're stored in the cloud um, as part of Slack's infrastructure. And that right there is reason enough why they just won't be able to do it. So there's got to be some, you know, some ways to sort of solve that. Um, and then, and, and, and to be, to give Atlassian credit, they actually came up with HipChat server, uh, which I've never used. So I don't know functionally, you know, how well it is, but it's, uh, meant to address that. So it can be an on-prem, uh, chat server. So you can have HipChat without using HipChat's, you know, cloud hosting. Uh, and then there's some open source chat tools I talk about in the book too, that, that you can do the same thing, ho basically host your own internal chat service. But um, there's that part of it in terms of the security. And then there's also um, how do you secure your bots so that um, it's only going to run things that it's allowed to run and it's only going to allow specific people to tell it to do those things. So uh, the joke I always make is that you wouldn't want your um, you know, front desk person, the person who answers phones and you know, lets in visitors and that kind of thing, you wouldn't want them accidentally um, pushing new code to master just because they got curious. Um, so you, there's got to be a way for people to um, sort of be held responsible for certain things and also, um, you know, make sure that 
if Jason's going to you know perform a certain action, he actually has the authority and the authorization and the you know systems clearance and all these things <clears throat> to actually do that thing. And <clears throat> excuse me, there's some there's some ways around that, and there's some uh, some new middleware in, in Hubot that sort of allows you to connect it to an LDAP or some sort of access control service. So that way you can um, run some basic security. But uh, I think the security part is is the one that really needs to be solved before chat ops really takes off. Um, but I see some promise uh, um, just because there, there are teams that are working on that. And there's also some larger enterprise. HP Enterprise is a good example. Um, some larger companies who are doing chat ops internally, and they've found ways to deal with um, their own security concerns. So I know it's possible. I think it's just a challenge for a lot of people. And right now, the, the basic way would be if you're a part of a certain group or a channel, right? Yeah, I think it's just going to be, in most cases, are you part of a certain group, a certain security group within your LDAP? Um, so if you're an engineer and you're within the engineering group, you have control or access to, to run certain things. Um, but you could also do it on the user level too. So it's not as trivial as, for example, me, if I re request a command to the bot, then the bot itself can query a database and say, is a Dana in X group? Then give her the result. Like it's yeah. not. Yep. It's not that's, as easy as that. Well, no, that is. It's exactly how it works. Yep. Oh, okay. But that's it's not. How, it's not how, that easy. Yeah. No. That you can do that. That one way. That that's one way you can do it. Um, and but there's in some cases too. Um, people are using rather than taking it that far, um, because they don't really have commands that are all that sensitive or could cause problems. But they still want to make sure that the person that's running the command. Uh, is allowed to, they'll just use something like Google's two-factor authentication um, just so that they can make sure that, you know, somebody isn't running a command that they're not supposed to, but we don't necessarily um, take it to the same level as, as using LDAP. Well, Jason, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was great talking to you about chat ops. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be on the show and talking about chat ops. Thanks to Symphono for sponsoring Software Engineering Daily. Symphono is a custom engineering shop where senior engineers tackle big tech challenges while learning from each other. Check it out at symphono.com slash sedaily. That's S-Y-M-P-H-O-N-O dot com slash sedaily. Thanks again, Symphono. Wow.